Welcome to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Devotions designed to inspire you on your daily walk with God. Here's your host, Ken Gurley. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. That's me. That's me. Even on Friday morning. My goodness, that is still me. Thank you for being a part of us. We're just happy. I'm so I'm so enthused about today's subject. Nothing, 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 nothing is impossible. I believe that Cesar Romero. I believe that Roxanne. I believe it with all of my heart. The end of the week is already come, and it doesn't seem possible, does it? At least it's the end of the week here. I don't know when you will be viewing this, but welcome. We're in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of hurt and loneliness and distancing and sheltering in place. And on the one hand, we have people earnestly whispering in our ear, this is a hoax, a a conspiracy. On the other hand, we have the media shrilly shouting in our ear, this is the end of the world, this is the end of the world. Both of them have a right to speak. I respect people's opinions. Everybody's entitled to it. But what we need is probably less of an opinion right now and more a sure word from God. In fact, we crave it. We desire it. I I would say we absolutely have to have that sure word of God. As the prophet said, uh, prophet Isaiah said, we need a nail in a sure place. We need something to hang our hearts and hopes on, especially now. We go from one day to the next, and some people worried that their health is in jeopardy, their future is absolutely insecure, their family, their homes, their livelihoods are threatened. Yeah, we need a sure word from God. And to you, I want to bring you a divine word, a word that will stand even this test of time, a word that will hold you during this uncertain season. Don't you despair. Don't you get disheartened when man says it's over, when your own heart and mind says it's over, when the enemy whispers, there's no more. God always has the final word. Oh, yes, he does. And here is his final word, nothing. I said nothing, 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 nothing is impossible to them who believe. Oh, praise God. Thank you for being a part of this. Thank you. Uh, Hey, thank you, Brother Babu, Sister Jones. Good to see you, Donetta. Thank you for being a part of this. Like the page, follow the page, share the page. We are working on something and hopefully we'll be unveiling it in a week or two trying to help those who are not on Facebook become a part of this devotion. We're trying to figure it out. Yeah, trying to figure out all this technical stuff, but I'm glad you're here, and thank you for being a part of this. And the success of it comes from the hand of God and from you and from each of you that just say, we need this time, we need this moment, we share this moment. We want to build up a community of faith of two or three that can call on the name of the Lord and care for one another, watch out for one another. And so I appoint and christen and deputize each and every one of you as sort of governors 
and uh, get out there, encourage one another, leave prayer requests, send some hearts, send some emojis, but more importantly, send some prayers that direct to heaven on behalf of those of us who are gathering here today. A lot of needs, so many needs. In fact, if we were to fill the screens right now, if we were live in service and said, here's our prayer needs, the font size would be so small that you couldn't read it from the audience. There are so many needs. But if you would allow me, I want to focus on what are our greatest needs, our greatest needs. It was a preacher from yesteryear. I started off this week talking about Lloyd John Ogilvie, and he he struggled to find out what are the greatest needs of mankind. He surveyed thousands and thousands of people. One recurring, nagging need was disillusionment. People are disillusioned. What they believed should have happened didn't. The justice that they sought for was beyond their fingertips. The answer they looked for, it just didn't come. The relationship they dreamed of, the home, the family life, it didn't happen. And the feeling, the feeling one has when things you set your heart on, they don't come. It's called, it's what the Bible calls hope deferred. And it makes the heart sick that life isn't all that it cracked up to be, that it's somehow a sham. And L. Frank Baum's fictitious tale of the Wizard of Oz, it's, it's like Dorothy, Dorothy, her heart and gaze were set on the Emerald City, and she's going to find her answer, and the Wizard of Oz is going to tell her how to get back to Kansas. But when the curtain parts, she realizes he's not what he purported to be, and the facade begins to crack. An illusion goes up in smoke, disillusionment. There are a lot of people suffering from disenchantment with life, and especially right now, in this moment, in this hour that we live in, they believe they they are ever farther from the reach of their hopes and dreams, so much so that they believe the dream is dead and gone. It's gone and will it will never be recovered. It's never going to come back. And that the things that they had hoped for and planned for in their lives has somehow slipped from their grasp. That's called disillusionment, disillusionment. And restoring and fracturing that disillusionment is one of the greatest needs of men. You've met them. I've met them. They are the ones who who say things like, oh, well, whatever. They're not going to come out and say I'm disillusioned. They're going to say, oh, well, whatever. Oh, well, oh, well, who cares? They stare into space or they get lost in these trivial, mindless pursuits and they become experts at one video game after another. They take precious moments, diamonds that are called seconds, minutes and hours and throw them to the wind. They get fatalistic and pessimistic and cynical and they say nothing will change. To borrow an expression from the 1600s and Alexander Pope, disillusioned people are those who look at life through a jaundiced eye, and there's a heaviness, and there's a sense of dread and drudgery, and they wonder, how could I have been such a fool to believe that things would or could be different? Oh, yeah, that's what I'm coming against this morning. I am coming up against a sense of disillusionment, and I I just feel like telling somebody right now, I, I, I put it in bold caps behind me. Nothing, nothing, nothing is impossible to them 
who believe with God all things are possible. I was in prayer early this morning, and I, I don't know why I was reminded of Abraham. You remember that moment when he prepared to offer Isaac on his son on Mount Moriah? We talk about the faith of Abraham, the father of the faithful. What does faith really look like? Well, for Abraham, it meant laying down your hopes and promises. It meant sacrificing what you planned. It looked like a dream that was left abandoned to die. It looks like letting go of the momentary. It looks like resigning ourselves to the present predicament. Yeah, that's what it looks like. But Abraham had something else. He had a steadfast gaze on the horizon. He said he believed that he could if he released what God gave him, that God had the power to give it back to him, that it's the letting go that we call worship. It's in the tears flowing that we call praise. It's in the collapsing in the ashes of what might've been and saying, I don't know why this is happening to me. I don't know why I'm going through this. I don't know why we are going through this as a family. I don't understand or even pretend or understand where this path is taking us. But God, I trust you. That's keeping your eyes on the horizon. I trust your heart. I trust your hand. I trust your purpose for my life. I trust the dreams and promises you gave me. What motivated Abraham? It was faith. It's in Hebrews eleven nineteen. It's one of the most breathtaking descriptions of that faith. Uh, by faith, the Bible says, at the time of testing. Are we in that time of testing right now? Abraham, in the time of testing, offered Isaac back to God. You gave him to me, God. I'm giving him back to you right now in this time of testing. It's faith that releases uh, all of our dreams and our hopes and and what we had planned and what we had planned for. It's releasing it. Uh, Acting in faith, the Bible says. Uh, He was as ready to return the promised son, his only son, as he had been ready to receive him. And this after he had already been told, your descendants are going to come from Isaac. Here we go. Here we go. Here's the verse. Get this. Abraham figured that if God wanted to, he could raise the dead. In a sense, that's what happened when he received Isaac back alive from an altar. That was the reasoning of faith. God, you started this. You gave this to me. You promised me lineage and posterity as the sands of the sea and the number of stars and the sky that it was going to be through this one on the altar. I'm going to lay my Isaac down. I'm going to lay my dream down. As ready as I was to receive this promise, I'm going to release it to you because I'm figuring I'm reckoning. I'm counting. God, if you want this promise to live, if you want my dream to survive, if you want my hope to triumph, you're going to let it come back to life again. You're going to make it happen. You specialize in resurrections. You specialize in bringing things to life again. I may be disillusioned, but God, you can break that spell. You can bring life back, hope back. You can bring my Isaac back even when I lay him down. In other words, what's impossible with man, all things are possible with God. Nothing. 
nothing. You hear me, hear me, Winnie, Roy, Trenton, Don, nothing, nothing is impossible. Nothing is impossible to them who believe. Imagine, imagine how John, the revelator, must have felt. The apostles were being killed left and right. He was going to be the last surviving apostle of the 12, of the three closest to Jesus, Peter, James, and John. James had been killed first, John's brother, killed by Herod early on in the apostolic account in the book of Acts. Then Simon Peter is killed by Caesar. Now John, John alone is left. His life wasn't easy. He's banished to Patmos, a deserted isle. He's socially distant. Can't go to church. He's all alone. What are you going to do? You need to get in the spirit on the Lord's day. That's what you need to do. He's disillusioned. He's abandoned. He's heart sick. He's all by himself. What did it mean? What did all of this mean, Lord? Uh, But then heaven arrived. Heaven arrived and invaded his world. I, I was studying this passage this morning and it just, it just came to me so powerfully this morning that overlaid on Patmos was heaven coming down. Overlaid into his world was another world pressing that glory began to wash across that deserted aisle. And John was permitted to see in the portals of eternity. Let me just stop here a moment. We like to say that John, the revelator, was caught away into the heaven. But remember this, it didn't happen until Revelation 4 when John heard the expression come up here. It wasn't until chapter 4, John was caught up into heaven. In Revelation 1, it was not John going to heaven. It was heaven coming down to John in the midst of his disillusionment. That's why we're called to pray, thy kingdom come. And that's what happened on Patmos uh, is that heaven invaded his world. You remember how it happened? John said, I heard a voice from behind me. Heaven snuck up on me. Heaven surprised the last apostle. Heaven said, it may look like it's over, but it's not over. I'm sneaking up on you. I shall surprise you. And that voice said, I got, I got a, I got a work for you to do right here. Something you can do. Uh, You can write the seven churches of Asia. And what was that voice John heard? I love this expression. John said, I turned to see the voice. Oh, I love that. I turned to see the voice, uh, the walking voice that appeared to Adam, Adam and Eve in paradise. Uh, John was privileged to see the voice, the word of God, the I am, the great I am, the God who can make things happen. And he recognized him, yet he didn't recognize him because on that vanquished aisle of disillusionment, he said, I saw one whose robe reached to his feet, a golden sash across his chest, hair white, eyes as flaming fire, his feet like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice when he spoke, it was like the sound of Niagara, and his face was like a sun shining in brilliance, and John collapses uh, at his feet. Uh, I I just wish right now, I I just need to talk to you, COVID-19 world. I need to talk to you, people of 
faith. It is about time in the midst of a shrill media, in the midst of the conspiratorial whisperings that you and I and the people of faith had a vision of the almighty God superimposed upon our world. We need to see the glory of God coming down. I believe heaven, that secret kingdom is being made evident before us right now. I believe God is wanting to reveal himself to you. Did you did you hear what is said in Revelation 1 that heaven came up to John in the midst of his disillusionment and social distancing and sheltering in place and Jesus placed his right hand on John. This is the touch of intimacy. He places a glorified, nail-scarred hand on John. Oh, so much meaning in that touch. We used to sing, he touched me. He needs to touch us again. And he needs to put his hand of power on a disillusioned, lonely man and woman. And on this morning devotion, he needs to just say, oh God, oh God, we need you. It's as if, it's as if the Lord is just saying, I've not forgotten you, John. I've not forgotten the dreams. I've not forgotten you. The hopes and the plans have come to you. It was Ogilvy's thought for each and every human need. There is an I am statement of the Lord Jesus Christ. I told you there were 22 of them in the Gospels, but now we're beyond the Gospels. We're beyond the life of Jesus Christ, uh, what he did on earth. We are now into revelation and we are into the present tense. We are into our day. And in Revelation 1, there are three I am statements in verse 17 and 18. He said, John, don't you be afraid. Don't be afraid. I am the first. I am the last. I am the living one. I was dead. I'm alive. I'm alive forevermore. I hold the keys to death and hell and to this disillusioned man on Patmos comes a touch from heaven's hand. Don't be afraid. I am the first. I am the last. I am the living one. I was dead, but look, I'm alive. I am alive forevermore. We don't know when God is going to close the drapes on the history of this world. But we should know 2,000 years after Patmos that it's near and it's soon, but Jesus is still alive forevermore. For the ages of all ages, he knows where his disciples are. He will find us in our Patmos. He will find us in our disillusionment. You may say that's impossible. That's impossible. No, that's God. That's God. He specializes. Isn't that what we used to say? He specializes in things thought impossible. And Jesus said, And one more thing, John, just don't you ever forget, I hold the keys of death and hell. And whatever you think is impossible, it isn't. I am that I am the God who makes things happen. I am still in control. Why do you think it's repeated 
again and again in the Bible that nothing is impossible with God. Can I just give you some words right now? Here, here's some words to hang your hat on. Matthew 19, with man, it's impossible. God, all things possible. Philippians 4, I can do all things through him that strengthens me. And if you can do all things through him, then nothing is impossible. Luke 1, nothing will be impossible with God. That was the word to Mary. Mark 9, all things are possible to him who believes. I'm just trying to give you a nail in a sure place. Uh, that's, I, I'm just trying to give you hope in the midst of your Patmos, in the midst of your disillusionment. With man, it's impossible, but not with God. That's what it, Mark 10, for with God, all things are possible. Jesus said in Matthew 17, if you have faith as a mustard seed, the tiniest of all seeds. Uh, if you have faith that mountain is going to move, nothing will be impossible to them who believe. Luke 18, the things that are impossible with man are possible with God. It, shouldn't that motivate us to pray? What we, what man is saying is impossible. God, you can make it possible. Uh, you are the God. You are the I am, the ego amy, the God who makes things happen. Or wh what about God in Isaiah 46 declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, which the things that have not been done saying my purpose shall be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. And God asked in Genesis 18, is there anything too difficult for me? Uh, Jeremiah 32 says, no, nothing is too difficult for God. Uh, and to you and me, Jesus has the keys. Uh, and to you and me have been given the keys of the kingdom. And you and I have the power of binding and loosing and unlocking and unleashing. Uh, I just believe you can declare the possible and impossible and make it possible. You can declare the improbable and make it probable. You can call into life those things that are not. You've got the authority of the one who makes things happen. Paul asked, shall tribulation separate us? Shall persecution separate us? Shall distress and nakedness and famine and peril separate us from the love of God? No. He said, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and who gave himself for us. In all these things, we are going to conquer we are going to be victorious in all these things. Uh, we are triumphant. Uh, and if we can be victorious in all of these things, then nothing is impossible. What perception of reality do we have right now? What barren rockiness of despair and disillusionment are you facing? I sense heaven approaching and I see heaven's hand coming to us. So don't you be afraid. He is alive and nothing is impossible for us. Uh, I wish you'd just declare that and say it is true. I declare it true. I decree it. It shall be. And God, you're coming to me in the midst of this barren, rocky shore. You're going to find me. And we're going to see this thing through together. And we're going to walk out of this wilderness and walk through this season in victory. We're going to see healings and miracles happen before our very eyes. Testimonies 
are coming out of this time of testing. And God's got something special for each of you. Leave a prayer request. Leave a victory report out to the side. Encourage one another. And may God be with you today. Looking forward to a great worship service this weekend. Yeah, it's going to be it's going to be online. But you know what? The Lord knows what he's doing. And I believe miracles are in the offing. Let's claim it in the mighty name of Jesus. God bless you. Go in faith this weekend and may the Lord be near. Thank you for listening to Morning Devotion with Ken Gurley. Join us next time for another inspiring devotion. To support this ministry, please visit firstchurch.com forward slash give.